Hello there, and welcome to Byzantium and the Crusades. My name is Nick Holmes, and this is a podcast series that looks at the Crusades from the Byzantine angle. Why is that interesting? I think because Byzantium played a much more important role in the Crusades than many people think. Indeed, Byzantium was really the real reason why they happened, and that's what this series of podcasts is about. In this episode, we're going to look at how Byzantium hit back against the Seljuk Turks and Fatimid Arabs in 1068, when the new emperor Romanus Diogenes took charge. Two things that I find fascinating about what you're about to hear are that, first, the Byzantines won a big victory in 1068 that's been pretty much ignored in most history books, which I think mistakenly described the Byzantines as in terminal decline in this period. Second, why is that? Well, it's partly because the main source written by a Byzantine senator at the time was only published in English by Harvard University in 2012. So, let's put that right and hear what really happened all those years ago. As before... I'll read extracts from my book called The Byzantine World War, which was published last year in 2019. So, let's go. Hope you enjoy it. When Romanus' army marched east in the spring of 1068, surprising news reached them. The expected Turkish onslaught had not materialised. Alp Arslan had in fact withdrawn his army back to Iraq. Although this wasn't clear to the Byzantines, his objective was not invading Byzantium, but rather wresting Syria from Fatimid control. The true purpose of his advance into Armenia had been to stamp his authority over the rebellious Turkmen, and he had no wish to provoke a full-scale war with the Byzantines. While Romanus was pleasantly surprised by this news, nevertheless, having spent three months rebuilding the eastern army, he was keen to test his raw recruits. So, instead of marching east, he turned south to the Byzantine-Arab border in Syria, where there was still plenty of fighting with Turkish mercenaries serving the Arab Emirates in Aleppo and Hierapolis, which had been putting growing pressure on the key Byzantine strongholds at Antioch and Edessa. In addition, Romanus was no doubt influenced by the fact that the Syrian frontier had been the traditional battleground between the Byzantines and the Arabs in the past, and was a place where many legendary Byzantine generals like Nicephorus Phocas had won their spurs. But as he was marching south, disaster struck. The Turkish threat from the east had not disappeared. A Turkish warband under the command of the notorious renegade warlord Afsin had passed unnoticed through the eastern frontier and sacked another Anatolian city, this time called Neo-Caesarea, not far from the city of Caesarea, itself sacked by Afsin the year before. Romanus was shocked. He had been wrong-footed. He quickly turned his army around and marched back towards the Armenian frontier. Determined to hunt the Turks down, he immediately took his Cappadocian cavalry and rode 
into the hills near Tefrike, which is modern Divrigi in eastern Turkey, in pursuit of Afsin. Meanwhile, he sent the rest of the army to Sebastea to guard against any further Turkmen incursions. For eight days, Romanus pursued a Turkish warband, which he thought was Afsin's. Riding day and night through the mountains, he finally caught up with them. His Cappadocian cavalry, thirsty for revenge, cornered the Turks and massacred them. All the prisoners were put to the sword. The Turkish plunder was recovered and their prisoners freed. But they soon discovered that the warband was not Afsin's. It was a smaller group that had been plundering on a lesser scale. Afsin himself had slipped back to Armenia undisturbed. Even so, Romanus had demonstrated his determination to confront the enemy, and the Turks seemed to have been cowed by the presence of the emperor. For the time being, their raids stopped. Romanus only spent a few days at Sebastia before resuming his march south. He left a strong force, including Frankish mercenaries, in the border fortress city of Melitine to guard the eastern frontier, hoping that this force would be sufficient to intercept any further Turkish raids. Then he led the army south to Syria. En route, there was more fighting with Turkish raiders. Grain convoys to feed the troops were attacked. Romanus acted swiftly and drove off the attackers. The army eventually arrived in northern Syria, near to Aleppo, which was a powerful Fatimid Arab emirate. It may seem strange that Romanus chose to attack the Fatimids when they were enemies of the Seljuks, but it should be remembered that while the Fatimids and Seljuks were nominally at war with each other, the fragmented nature of both of their empires meant that local politics often overrode wider considerations, and the emir of Aleppo was quite happy to employ Seljuk Turkmen as mercenaries, indeed led by one of the Seljuk princes, Ibn Khan al-Turkmani. He had been using these to raid Byzantine territory right up to the walls of the great Byzantine city of Antioch. Romanus's swift advance into Syria caught the Arabs by surprise. Pecheneg mercenaries sent on foraging expeditions returned with abundant plunder, including both animals as well as human beings. The army marched on towards Hierapolis, a well-fortified Arab town, owing allegiance to the Fatimid emir of Aleppo. Romanus pitched camp beside it. Meanwhile, an army sent by the emir of Aleppo, containing Bedouin tribesmen and boosted with Turkish mercenaries, followed in the Byzantines' wake. The Bedouin cavalry had a fearsome reputation, with exceptionally fast horses, even faster than those of the Turks, enabling them to make lightning attacks on their enemy. Knowing that he might be caught between the Aleppan army and the Arabs in Hierapolis, Romanus decided to take Hierapolis quickly, and he immediately launched an assault on the city using the Varangian and Armenian infantry to batter their way in. After fierce fighting, 
they were able to force the gates and enter the city. Many of the Arabs had actually fled earlier, leaving those that remained holding out in a few towers and the citadel. One by one, Romanus stormed the towers using catapults. He surrounded the citadel and started to build a ramp with earth in front of its walls. At the sight of this, the remaining Arabs offered to pay a ransom in return for their lives. Romanus accepted this, and honouring his pledge, he made sure that they left the city unharmed. But while Romanus's soldiers were fighting in the town, the Aleppan army was massing outside. It was now a very substantial size, maybe as much as 20,000 strong, with Turkmen, Bedouin tribesmen and Mamluk regiments. It's worth noting that the Mamluk soldiers were the elite of the Arab armies in the Middle East. Although officially slaves, they were actually exceptionally well-paid and highly valued. Mamluks were often Turkish, but they could also be Arab and sometimes even Armenian or Greek. They were typically bought as boys and trained to fight and ride so that they became professional soldiers. The Aleppans launched an attack just as Romanus was assaulting the last tower in Hierapolis, advancing right up to the Byzantine encampment, which was well fortified with a trench and palisade in the ancient Roman style. The Mamluks encountered two elite Byzantine regiments from the Western army, the Stratolatae and the Scoli. These regiments were supposedly the best in the Byzantine army, but the Mamluks drove them back into the camp, killing many of them, capturing some of their standards, and taking prisoners who were promptly beheaded with their severed heads sent to Aleppo. Romanus was furious when he heard of the Western army's pitiful performance, quickly leading a unit of his newly trained Cappadocian troops out of the camp, he formed a battle line to face the Arabs. The sight of the disciplined Byzantine troops persuaded the Arabs to pull back. Nevertheless, Romanus was deeply worried by the poor performance of the Western troops. With the Aleppan army a stone's throw away, the Byzantines hardly slept that night. It looked as if Romanus's strategy to test his new army in Syria might prove his undoing. He needed to secure a victory the next day if his army was not to be trapped in Hierapolis. But Romanus had years of experience fighting in the Balkans. He was a very resourceful general and he spent the night in his tent devising a battle plan. At dawn, just as Bedouin tribesmen were advancing on the Byzantine camp, Romanus launched a brilliant surprise attack. Without sounding the customary trumpets and bugles, he led his most loyal soldiers, the Cappadocians and Armenians, straight out to meet the Arabs. The ruse worked well. The attacking Bedouin were caught by surprise and pushed back with heavy casualties. The rest of the Byzantine army charged out in support. The Arabs hadn't expected such a determined attack and retreated in chaos. 
A Byzantine senator has left us with a vivid description of the battle. He claims that the Byzantines could have completely routed the Aleppo army as it started to flee, especially as the fast Bedouin horses tired more quickly than those of the Byzantines. Quote, for although the Arab horses can run very swiftly for a time, they do not bear up well over a long distance. End of quote. He thought that the victory should have been followed up with an assault on Aleppo itself. But Romanus was more cautious. For whatever reason, he didn't pursue the retreating enemy. Maybe he feared an ambush. Nevertheless, Romanus had secured an important victory. With the Arabs fleeing back to Aleppo, he stayed at Hierapolis to organise its defence, giving the governorship to an Armenian called Pharasmanios Apokarpis. Romanus's capture of Hierapolis was the most important Byzantine victory since the capture of Edessa in 1034. But by now, it was late November and winter was on its way. The campaigning season was officially over. In early December, he marched the army out of Hierapolis towards Aleppo and reached the Arab-held fortress of Azaz. He considered attacking it, but ultimately decided that its fortifications were too strong. The army continued its march west towards Antioch. There was some skirmishing with the Aleppans en route and Romanus seized the town of Artach, lying midway between Antioch and Aleppo, and recently captured by the Aleppans, who were using it as a base for attacks on Byzantine Antioch. A garrison and a commander were installed, making another useful addition to Byzantine defences in Cilicia. Romanus decided not to march to Antioch, the second city in the empire, and the centre of its defences in Syria, since it was suffering from a grain shortage and his army would only have imposed an extra burden on it. Besides, the city had no need of help, protected as it was by huge ancient walls and well garrisoned. Romanus decided to return home. According to the senator Ataliates, the campaign marked a turning point in Byzantine history. Quote, it was therefore during the reign of this emperor Romanus that the Romans, as of course the uh, Byzantines called themselves, began to stand up to their enemies, recover their more noble outlook and organize their resistance. End of quote. But the march home would be no easy task since the army now faced the difficult ordeal of crossing the Taurus mountain range in midwinter. To begin with, it followed the coast road north from Antioch to a town called Alexandron, where the troops started to make their way up into the towering mountain range along tortuous clifftop roads. The change in temperature from the milder winter climate in Syria to the freezing conditions in the mountains started to take its toll on the troops. Quote, the men marching with Romana suddenly found themselves in icy cold weather with everything covered in frost. 
Thus, it happened that horses, mules and men, especially those whose bodies were not robust or well-clothed, froze to death in the sudden cold and had to be left on the road. A pitiable sight. End of quote. The Senator Ataliates vividly described his own narrow escape from death on one of the clifftop routes. His horse was suffering from some form of colitis which caused it to stop and bend its forelegs sufficiently for Ataliates to slide off before the horse itself fell headlong down a precipice. Quote, As I got the horse to stand again by forcing him with the reins, he immediately lurched uncontrollably on his own and threw himself over the cliff. But I remained safe and praised God for rescuing me from the danger. End of quote. Fortunately for posterity, Ataliates survived, and the army's morale improved as it finally passed through the Taurus Mountains into the more clement lands of southern Anatolia. But there they found news of a cruel and utterly unexpected blow. The renegade Turkish warlord Afsin had struck yet again. Afsin epitomised the lawless and independent spirit of the Turkmen. His raids into Byzantium were not only condemned by Alparslan, but he was actually under a death sentence for killing one of his favourite courtiers. Nevertheless, this seems only to have encouraged him to make ever more daring raids. While Romanus was fighting in Syria, he had struck again. The problem was that the strong garrison Romanus had left in Melitine had done nothing to stop him. These troops should have intercepted him, but their commander just sat behind the city walls and let the Turks pass into the interior. Maybe this commander, we don't know his name, was a traitor or simply a coward. Whatever the case, Romanus learnt to his cost that he'd appointed the wrong person. Assin's warriors rode unhindered west into the heartland of the empire. And this time they rode astonishingly deep into Byzantine territory. Travelling over 300 miles west past Melitine, they reached another major Byzantine city called Amorium. Just like Caesarea, the city didn't expect Turkish nomads to come anywhere near its walls. Ataliates says that Afsin took it by storm, massacred most of the population and carried the rest away as slaves. There was nothing that Romanus could do. By the time he received news of the raid, Afsin was already well on his way back to Seljuk, Armenia. It was a huge blow to Romanus's prestige. And it was especially galling after his successful Syrian campaign. It was a long march for Romanus and his army back to Constantinople in the depths of winter. He only reached the city close to the end of January, leaving the new Anatolian regiments in the provinces and assigning the western troops and the mercenaries to winter quarters outside the city. He reached the Bosphorus. Looking across the water, Romanus and his troops would probably have seen snow covering the great dome of Hagia Sophia, visible for miles around the city. 
as they filed into boats to cross over to the holy city, Romanus must have cursed Afsin. He knew the Ducai would do everything in their power to use this tragedy to discredit him. The sack of Armorium hung like a black cloud over his return, as dark and threatening as the winter sky. And that ends this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. If you did, it would be amazing to leave a rating. Thanks so much. In the next episode, we'll hear more about how Romanus tries to save Byzantium.